Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life, and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. Welcome to Belonging, a podcast that explores how to come home to yourself in the age of loneliness. I'm Becca Piastrelli, your host and guide on a journey of courageous reconnection. As we explore topics like ancestral wisdom, cultivating meaningful sisterhood, living with the seasons and cycles of the earth and your body, and what it means to be a good ancestor. Hi there. Welcome back to Belonging, the podcast. It's Becca Piastrelli. So grateful to be with you today, whenever that day is for you. This time we're in the later days of summer, still feeling that heat here in Northern California, Miwok territory, and also feeling those fruits ripening, the harvest coming, the sun moving ever so slightly lower, and really just basking in the abundance of these times. What a beautiful time to be alive. And also a challenging time. I must say it's been really comforting to go and be in my garden and with the land when I'm feeling so frustrated with what's happening in the world, what's what's happening politically, speaking from a perspective of being an American, just really feeling a lot of Uh, frustration and helplessness and anger and also really wanting to root in, ground in to the earth, to my body, not wanting to lose myself, wanting to feel balanced and whole, which is my birthright. I want to feel worthy of a happy and beautiful life while also not disengaging from all that is happening. So I'm really grateful for the earth in these late summer days and the way it provides and the way I can receive from it and give back to it feels like a powerful thing. I have another interview for you today on this episode with an incredible woman, Barbara Aroshina, who is, you'll hear, someone I met in a parking lot in Palm Springs who just casually dropped that she used to be Um, an evangelical. And I was like, wait, what? And I really see as a fierce feminist and uh, stand for queer liberation and love and deep, deep spirituality. She was in the church for many years, actually studied to be a pastor and has really had to move through some pretty tough stuff when it comes to belonging, total rejection by her community and her family around her sexuality and her beliefs around uh, the harm that traditional Christianity has caused and how she can still maintain a deeply spiritual connection with her source, her creator, whether that's God, you'll see I have a hard time with that word right now. And um, we have a pretty deep and tender conversation. It actually, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous putting that out there. And I even commented in our interview that I almost feel more trepidation around conversations around religion and spirituality than I do around race right now, which feels like a total 
Way to go, Becca, for increasing your resilience around conversations around race because my fragility was really starting to frustrate me and paralyze me. And now I'm in this interest, this inquiry with myself around why am I feeling hesitation and resistance to talking more openly about my experience and impression of religion and spirituality. So we dive deep into that. I know this this conversation is so important because I do have people come on my retreats, be interested in my work, and have a long entangled, often uh, traumatic experience with religion. And how can we reclaim our connection to spirit, however that presents for ourselves, and also work through untangling this deeply embedded knot that is the history of patriarchal religion. So I am still nervous, but so pumped to hear what you think, hear or read, of our conversation. Uh, You can always share it with me on Instagram or in the comments on belongingpodcast.com. Barbara and I are really looking forward to hearing your thoughts and thank you for your witness to our conversation. So without further ado, here is my conversation about religion and patriarchy and everything in between with Barbara Eroshina. Well, Barbara Eroshina, hello. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hello, Becca. <laughs> Thank you for being here with me um, and for having this really, to me, feels like a brave conversation, although mm-hmm. I know you've just gotten off a conversation about religion this morning with CBC mm-hmm. and it's in your it's in your sphere. Mm-hmm. And this is the conversation that I really want to talk about as it relates to belonging, which is the role of religion and belonging mm-hmm. and queerness. Mm-hmm. And you are someone who I have mutual friends with. And we actually mm-hmm. met in person in a parking lot in Palm yep. Springs. Very briefly. And I just felt your bright energy and your depth at the same time, you know, it's like you could go deep and you could be light. And I'm always really down for that. Mm-hmm. And then a little Instagram stalking. <laughs> I was like, this, this person is really interesting and cool. And you are very vulnerable in your sharing, which I always mm-hmm. really appreciate because mm-hmm. it's not always easy, but it really does serve for those of us who, um, maybe feel like we have to hide a part of our story because Mm. it doesn't fit that like aesthetic or that narrative Mm. of, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever the dominant culture wants us to Mm -hmm. say. So I really honor you and your time and thank you for being here and belonging. And the first question I don't always, but often ask is, um, who are your people? Mm. And that answer is whatever feels real and true for you in this moment. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's such a pleasure to be here and have this conversation, have the space for it. Actually, it feels really sacred and timely and like the universe just strung strung this up together and made it happen through you and I, which is so special to me. Um, feels like such a privilege. Um, and once you asked that question, immediately what came to me is this family dinner group that we have that my wife and I have dinner with every single weekend. And we've been having dinner together every single weekend for probably mm, the last eight or nine months. But they're kind of like a couple of linchpin people in that group that really have been weaving together this community over years. And then finally, about eight or nine months ago, there was like kind of this, this turning point where suddenly we were together every single week without fail, like on one of those, you know, ridiculous text chains where everyone is on the text chain and we all exchange messages all the time ad nauseum about everything in our lives and what people are struggling with, what people are going through, funny encouragements, inside jokes, the whole thing. And um, and when you asked me the first kind of group of people, because I do feel like I belong to a number of different circles, um, it's the way I've chosen to build out my life. And I've also been yeah, I'm going to say chosen to, even though I I would say I'm lucky to have those people, but they choose me. I chose them. You know, it's a, it's a co-creation, but that's the first group that came to my mind so much so that actually a couple of weeks ago, I wrote a bio 
And for the first time, I finished the bio by writing that, you know, Barbara lives in Toronto, Ontario with her wife, Kat, and chosen family. And that felt really Mm. wild. And I like sent it to them and I was like, hey, you guys, you made the bio, (laughs) which was fun. I think it's important that we talk about this idea of chosen family, particularly in my work. I talk a lot about ancestral connection and ancestral reverence. And actually, I'm working on a book proposal right now where I'm talking Mm. to some publishers where this really awesome progressive publisher was like, this word ancestral can be um, challenging for folks who have adoption Mm. or like really intense mixed heritage or have a lot of trauma with their family of origin. Mm-hmm. And then this word family, we want them to feel like it can be more inclusive than just mm-hmm. the people who birthed you. And I'm like, <sighs> yes, of course. And you and I have had conversations around this because you, would you be able to just share like where you were born and what you come from in that blood lineage yeah. sense? Yeah, happy to. And yeah, this is a really important conversation. I think in general, but especially for queer populations and and yeah. trans folks. So I was born in Moscow, Russia. I'm 100% Russian as far as I know. And we immigrated when I was nine. I was almost turning 10. Um, and so I immigrated in this really intense time in my childhood where I was, I really had developed as a child fully, but I wasn't, I was on like the precipice of going into my preteen years and suddenly went through this massive culture shock. And so for me, my people are technically the Russian people, but as what we know, you know, of Russia, it's a very, very homophobic country and a very homophobic culture um, because it's really built on traditional patriarchal structures that prioritize uh, the heteronormative nuclear family as a working unit uh, in order to build kind of the collective society. And so for me, chosen family has played a really, really important role. And and then also like ancestry wise, it's been really complicated because, you know, uh, as far as my ancestry goes, the only living grandparent I have left is one grandfather. And I'm very close with him. He's the person I am absolutely closest with in terms of my elders. Um, But he doesn't know I'm gay. I'm not out with him because that's simply not, mm, it's not workable. It's not safe in my Mm -hmm. family dynamic because he lives with my parents who, um, you know, really struggle with my sexuality because they're still very, very, very Russian. And so I have this complicated relationship with my ancestry because I, I really don't know how my ancestors experience my sexuality. Um, and at the same time, you know, I've been introduced within pagan circles to the idea of the mighty dead, which is like, like claiming lineage and ancestry, not just by blood, but also by choice. And so for me, like I think of the mighty dead and I think of the queers that came before me and that are my ancestral lineage that have been queer for centuries to come. And maybe some of those mighty dead aren't my blood lineage, but it, that's not something I at this point know in my life. Mm-hmm. Were you re- were you raised very religious? Um, no, not particularly. My grandmother, my mom's mom, uh, Babushka Tasia, was very was like Russian Orthodox, but in the way that Russians are religious. So she loved going to church, and she loved sprinkling holy water on us, and lighting candles, and loved praying to God. But it wasn't this kind of moralistic idea. It was about ritual and sacred practice and almost superstition is what I will say, call it. Mm. Uh, Superstition is very, very important. It's a very important part of Russian culture. There's like superstitions that my parents never break and that I never break because of the way I was raised with them. And then my parents were, and I mean, my parents are a complicated case religiously because my dad's an atheist. My mom is a bit more of like a believer slash agnostic and she leans towards religiosity um, for kind of like personal favors or personal Hmm. um, guidance once in a while. Like she at one point was fasting so that I would, you know, so that God would show me the way of being straight in the world, like, which is, you know, horrifying when I think of it in one way. And then also like totally makes sense to me in terms of what she believes and how she operates in the world in another way. So mm-hmm. my parents really 
christened me, which is like baptism in the Russian Orthodox Church, and then told me that that was basically fire insurance. They were like, in case there's a God, we just want to make sure you don't go to hell. (laughs) But it was my grandmother really that kept that spiritual practice alive and that brought me to church and that really introduced me to my love of what became mysticism. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's what drew me to church as a child. I have a what I he would probably call himself atheist father, mm-hmm. science based dude, but so spiritual, mm. and um, and a mother who is definitely connected with the divine. And I chose Episcopalian church mm-hmm. because of the ritual. Because of the incense and the yeah. song and um, just the ritual of it uh, moved me. And I wanted it so bad. Yeah. I, I was like eight and I was like, that yeah. is what I want. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's um, well, it's been a, a complicated journey since then. The more I've, I, I, when I grew older, just understanding the legacy of the church, particularly in the lands yeah. of my ancestors in old Europe. And feeling like that wasn't cool, but still feeling like I I go to ancestral lands often these days. And I remember last year I was in Italy, which is my husband's um, ancestral land on his father's side. And, you know, there's just churches everywhere. <laughs> and yeah. I would go into them and often feel so deeply moved and then conflicted in, in all of that. And um, – yeah, I think that's like the double-edged sword of being of of dipping into that spiritual divine mystical world and also mm-hmm. understanding and and seeing the history of it all. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know, it's so tricky cuz so you mentioned that, that I had this interview this morning with CBC. They're going to write an online article about the fact that the church that I used to be part of here in Canada right before I I left Christianity. Um, is the Anglican Church, which is actually the same thing as Episcopalian. They're just two different words, but it's the same church. Really? So, yeah. So the Anglicans in Canada voted against same-sex marriage this past week, which is horrifying. Uh, and also so not surprising, I think, for a lot of people because the Anglican Church is more mainline, more progressive in some parts of it and way more conservative in some parts of it. And so what's been really fascinating for me recently, and I, I don't even know if I shared this with you when we talked last, but so I grew up Orthodox. When it came to Canada, I was interested actually in becoming Wiccan, but my parents shot that idea down very quickly. And so then a different friend invited me to uh, like a Baptist church youth group with her. So I became a Baptist um, like became a born again Christian, mm-hmm. spent about a decade in the evangelical church. And then when I was fully in the process of coming out, I um, dipped into like the most liberal of Christian churches. So here that's called United. And really, I spent about a year with the United Church and I love their theology. Their theology is rad and amazing. So like what they believe about God and the kind of like explorations of God that they have are very, very, very cool. But I would go into their worship services and I wouldn't feel anything, like nothing, like my spirit Mm -hmm. would not move. Like it would just stay, I would just stay like kind of frozen and unmoving and neutral and kind of like a piece of wood. Not, not like in, um, yeah, just in a way where like, I was like, nothing's happening for me here. Mm -hmm. Uh, My spirit isn't soaring or, or singing, you know? And then I got hired by an Anglican church and immediately my spirit soared and I loved the ritual and there was the songs and there and there was chanting, which I hadn't heard since I was a little girl in an Orthodox church. And it, it made me feel so, yeah, that, that ritual made me feel so alive. Right. Mm-hmm. And gave me so much freedom in it. But then by that point I'd become politicized enough that I was starting to suddenly be like, Oh wow, this makes me on one hand feel really good in my spirit. And on the other hand, there's this part of me that's very critically engaged in our world and is like, and also, can we talk about how colonization is an issue that is continuing right now? Mm-hmm. And can we talk about our relationship with the indigenous 
in Canada? And like, why are we, why do we still have churches on reserves? I'm sorry. I don't yeah. understand that. You know? And so was this like really, I just hear you when it comes to that like really tricky mix. Um, and if you want, like, I'm happy to talk about the fact that I'm still navigating that today. I would, but I would love, I would and. Mm-hmm. But I you would. might have other questions. So I remember when I met you in that parking lot and you said, in my evangelical days, and my whole yeah. body flinched. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and I think that's so cool that you said that because I'm like, wait, what? Because I have this very, I have this idea of what that means. And then, and I know that I, I'm pretty sure this is true. Like you were working towards ministry. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So... I, I guess I'm interested in that because I see a lot of your work now being at this, you know, the intersection of like liberation and your queerness. And it it feels like deeply focused on like shadow work. And then there's also mm-hmm. this like, there's this relationship with spirit and divine that is based in being in an evangelical church for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just so interesting and probably super challenging for some folks. And yet it's, it's definitely got me like, whoa, cool. So I don't know if there's anything you want to share around, around that time of your life. Yeah. I mean, did you have any experience in the evangelical church? Oh, no, I have um, impressions of it based on, Mm -hmm. um, mostly media and particularly based in like homophobia and Mm -hmm. racism. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. What a thing. Uh, I love that you asked that because I feel sometimes, especially because I've been talking about um, my spirituality now in light of that decade spent being extremely evangelical like because that's a conversation I'm now starting to speak to, it's very strange because for years I just did not talk about my evangelical roots, especially while starting my coaching business Mm -hmm. because it just felt, I don't know, it felt irrelevant. And I still sometimes worry that it'll feel irrelevant. But what I actually think that worry of like irrelevancy is, is shame. I think it's just like straight up shame about having been so bought into that world and having experienced and done so much harm in the name of quote unquote God and Jesus and trying to reconcile like, and really own, like really just own and hold the impact that that had in shaping who I was, you know, evangelical Christianity came into my life at a really, really difficult time. So I was 12 or 13 when I first attended my first youth group service. And I was getting bullied horrendously in middle school because learning Canadian social cues was really, really hard for me as a vibrant, you know, little Russian girl. And so I was in this school and I I was just experiencing so much isolation and exclusion and violence and harm. And the youth group offered me this opportunity to have friends, you know, it offered me this like absolute welcome that was very much shaped by this theology of like, it's okay that you're broken. Like that you're broken is actually true and you need salvation from God. Hmm. And so it, it kind of went really hand in hand with what I was experiencing at school where everyone was telling me that there was something wrong with me because I wasn't cool enough. I couldn't speak the English well enough. I was, my social cues were all off or, you know, they were off within this context. And it also kind of fit in hand in hand with a lot of what I was experiencing at home because, you know, I grew up in a family that survived a lot and in parents that were shaped by, by my grandparents who survived a lot, a lot, you know, there was just so much trauma and alcoholism and violence and, you know, everything from like being in the Nazi work camps to, um, you know, like just like some serious shit, you know, like being the child. And I was born in the USSR. Like I was born in the Soviet Union. I wasn't even born in Russia. So literally outside, like steps outside of my house, there were war tanks when the USSR fell. And there was a lot of gun violence and a lot of death outside of my door. Mm. literally, not just like next, like, no, literally like a, a 
30 second walk and we were across from the White House. And so the evangelical church really gave me this sense of home and safety and deep, deep, deep belonging Mm. when I didn't have anything to hang on to. And so, you know, as much as I really hate the harm I experienced from the evangelical church, and it would be easy for me to blame that church for now having all this baggage that I've spent years, like the last decade of my life now, you know, since I've left, undoing of feeling like I'm broken, I'm a sinner, I'm a da-da-da, whatever. Actually, all those ideas were already given to me by my original government, by my grandparents, by my parents, by the process of immigration and and violent assimilation that I was forced into. Mm -hmm. Like all those ideas were already there. The church just gave it language. Mm-hmm. And so my so my most important developmental years were shaped by shame and ideas of sin and unworthiness. And so no wonder, you know, my adult life has been spent healing those wounds um, within myself and and therefore also supporting the healing of those wounds within others. Yeah. And then now coming to the point of asking like, okay, once we've healed the wounds, what's on the other side? Like, who is your authentic self? Um, who's my authentic self, you know, as this queer, <laughs> like very spiritually uh, minded or spiritually led, very spiritually organized human in the world? Mm. Wow. Yeah, that just makes me think, you know, so many folks f- – in this world are feeling oppressed and mm-hmm. harmed and ashamed and disenfranchised. And that's where organizations can offer support or take advantage mm-hmm. <laughs> of that very real human desire to feel worthy of love and belonging. That just feels like such an important thing to know and be aware of in the human consciousness in this context. Yeah. I mean, it brings up the question for me of like, who do we, what, like, what do we actually want to believe? You know, Mm. do we want to, because we have a choice about that. And right. Especially as leaders, uh, you know, like whatever you're teaching or sharing with others from any sort of platform, whether we're talking about Instagram or a podcast or at your own community family dinner, like, are you teaching and working towards teaching what you want to believe, even if it's not what the shadow parts of you believe because they were trained in a different way, you know? Mm, Like, I'm like, I'm always just like leading the needle towards liberation. Were you, I'm interested in that point when you were in the evangelical church, what was your experience of realizing your sexuality Mm -hmm. in in a church that was um, telling you that was wrong? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it began. (laughs) Sorry. No, it's okay. Don't worry. I wrote a whole play about it because it's such a long story, but the short version of it, yeah, uh, I premiered it in Washington, D.C. at a great queer theater festival called um, Capturing Fire. What? Cool. Mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it's, it, you know, that took some work. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the short story of it is that I tried coming out when I was 13 to, I in high school I came out and then I tried coming out in church um, after a really, really horrific, traumatizing Um, Sunday school service where the youth pastor's wife explained that homosexuality was a sin. And the way she demonstrated that was by holding up this plastic toddler's toy above her head where like the pieces fit into the holes. And she like, you know, tried to like force a cube into a circular hole and was like, and this is why homosexuality isn't God's design, like is a sin because that's not how we're made literally, you know, which is just like not only teaches problematic things about which is not only deeply homophobic but also is just like such a bad teaching of sexuality period (laughs) Mm, like reducing us down to parts and then saying what parts are for what like rather than exploring all the depths of what a sexual 
experiences. Um, but yeah, so I went back into the closet at 13 and then I didn't come out again until I was 19 and I was working for an organization called Campus Crusade for Christ part-time. And I was getting ready to do an internship with them in British Columbia. And I, like my pastor sent me to a therapist and the therapist sent me to a quote unquote support group for same-sex attracted people, which is like the term that evangelicals use to describe queer folks because they're like, it's not your identity. It's just the problem you're experiencing, which is Mm. so sad. Mm. Um, But yeah, and then at that program, I actually met my first partner. Of course I did. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so that summer I was like working at the head office for Campus Crusade for Christ. It's like very evangelical organization on the other side of the country. My partner was here in Toronto. We weren't dating yet, but we like we spent the summer basically like doing a Bible study on whether God would ever bless a same sex union. And then by the time that I came back in the fall, we were like, okay, let's be together. And let's try and find our way forward. And that began a a process of two years of like really, really painfully leaving the church and experiencing a lot of traumatic things like um, an exorcism and no, yeah, like awful things, like just like two years of horror of freeing myself from this organization and this institution that I'd found all of my belonging in. And I lost, you know, I lost all of my closest friends. I lost, uh, yeah, I lost my best friend in the wide world. I mm. lost my job. I lost everything. But I gained my life. <laughs> yeah. Ironically. Yeah. Wow. So how hmm, how do I want to say this? So you lost your belonging, but you gained your life. Mm-hmm. And so what is your relationship with spirit or the divine or God? Which, side note, I have a really hard time with the word God. Mm-hmm. It's got some baggage. It really does. Yeah. So what is what is your relationship with that now? Um it was very funny because a couple of years ago I did a uh, like a, an accelerator program here in town, uh in Toronto to work on my business. And we did like a values evaluation and my very top life value is spirituality, mm. um, which is very funny and not surprising. So my relationship with spirit and my belief that we are spirit incarnate, we are spirit made manifest. We are God's source extending, extending itself through physical form and ever expanding. Like for me, the awareness of me as source and being part of this greater source that we're all tapped into and we make up together that is greater than my individual self, that is the most important relationship and the most important awareness I have of my entire life. Like that is the basis of absolutely everything I do, am, see, think, understand, feel, everything. Everything is shaped by that. What's so interesting is that you left the church, they rejected you, you felt Mm -hmm. totally rejected, and you still have a relationship to spirit. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like I've met people, I'm particularly thinking about the Catholic church, who are like, they just were done Mm -hmm. with that spiritual connection. And coming back to it is like really tender and slow. So mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I don't know if you want to speak to that. It just, I'm, I, I feel in awe of that. You're like, it's my number one thing in my, it's my number one value in my life. And yeah. you also had such trauma around leaving this church, this spiritual center. Yeah. I think that's what makes it a calling. <laughs> yes. And it's also, um, it's, it's also one of those things where like, it has been tender. Like, you know, there was a couple of years after I stopped attending church where, like I was really hardly ever praying and I was really hardly ever thinking about spirituality or God or source or any of that. Like there was, but it, and it wasn't long <laughs> because I am who I am. It was maybe like two and a half years. And during those two and a half years, I did very intensive psychotherapy, um, you know, but kind of two and a half years in, I, I began to, to touch back into my spirituality again. And thankfully by that point, because I had taken that time, I was so open that I was kind of available to be like, all right, like give it all to me. So I was like reading Rob Bell, who's an ex-evangelical speaker and 
pastor and preacher, but like very ex-evangelical. So he's got a podcast that's extremely popular called The Robcast. I was reading like everything from him to like Abraham Hicks to like Marianne Williamson to like Mm -hmm. Gabby Bernstein to like, um, you know, kind of like that, that whole, that whole genre. And like, I guess new age stuff felt the most accessible to me. I never really got into like really deeply researching Buddhist philosophy or Hindu philosophy or anything, because to me, appropriation has just always been such a big Mm -hmm hot red button. I got educated early in my, in my, you know, practice of yoga about what appropriation is and, Mm -hmm. and how dangerous it is. And so I kind of just was like, okay, so what, what do white people like me who are colonizers, who have a shit ton of privilege, who are going to be spending the rest of our goddamn lives working towards right relationship with people of color? Like what, what do I have access to that can be mine that can, that I can relate to in ways that feel like an integrity with mm-hmm. what I believe God to be, which God is about liberation. So, um, yeah, so it was a very tender process. It took years. Well, so what is your spiritual practice? Where do you worship? What does that mm-hmm. look like now? Yeah, the the last month and a half has been a bit of a, of a, a weird time I'm gonna say because I have been going to church every Sunday which is hilarious for me because I haven't been in church in years wait which church Um, oh a different church every Sunday what (laughs) yeah 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 I've really just like the last month and a half and I don't think I've publicly talked about it yet so this will be fun to to release into the world okay um but I've really been giving myself permission to separate ritual and sacred practice from theology. So can you define theology? Yes, I'd love to. So theology is like our heady ideas about what God is or isn't. It's like human humans being like, God came into the form of Jesus and saved us from our sins or, um, you know, like, or anything else. Like theology can also be like, what kind of um, goddesses you believe or gods you believe in a different tradition. So theology is just our ideas about God. It's the stories we make up about God. And so usually what usually my, my practice, spiritual practice has looked like is a lot of, um, praying, a lot of lighting candles, a lot of spell work, um, because, uh, I guess paganism has been a part of my life more intentionally for the last few years. Um, a lot of tarot, a lot of channeling my guides, which I, when I began that process, I just called it like, talking to my intuition. And then over time I was like, oh, I'm channeling. And then over time I was like, oh, and I have guides. Okay. Like when (laughs) they speak, they speak in the plural, like cool, cool. And so what's funny is I like went all the way to the far edge of kind of like new age mystical spirituality, which is where I totally 100% still hang out. Like I mark the freaking full moons and like very actively set spells and channel my guides like several times a week. And at the same time, for the last month and a half, I've been going to different churches, only, of course, very liberal, progressive churches. Um, Like I went to one that's Anglican. I went to one that's United. I went to a church that's Unitarian Universalist. So they don't even have a theology. They're just like, no matter what you believe, you're welcome. Yeah. You know, I've been like checking out sacred spaces on Sundays. And I think that's partially because it's been feeding me to be in community and in worship. Mm-hmm. And that's also partially because I've started hosting a sacred service myself and will be hosting that monthly starting in the fall. And so I'm also kind of just like immersing myself in spirits work of gathering people together in the world and like having my ear close to the ground of what does this look like, feel like, how does it feed people? What is source asking me to pay attention to? Mm-hmm. Do you follow Glennon Doyle? I do not like not super regularly. I don't like seek her out, but whenever she comes up on my stuff, I really like her. Yeah, I'm. I, I've just been listening to you and been like, wow, this is really cool. The way you are a stand for spirituality and spiritual connection, and like can hold the both end of like the hangups and the mm-hmm. and all the shit you know that comes mm-hmm. with it, and also like go to a different church every Sunday. And I was like, yeah, another person makes me feel this way in a slightly different way, which is, you know, Glennon, who is 
also she has a wife and mm. she calls God she. She also just had this great Instagram post about why she will continue to call God she. Yeah. And yeah, so good. I'll include it in the show notes. And and just her, yeah, her just like outspoken reference of scripture when it comes to this immigrant crisis we're experiencing crisis uh, we're experiencing in the United States and and relating it to Jesus and I'm like okay I see you doing that <laughs> yeah yeah it's so you know it's tricky I really really I really like Glennon like I like Glennon so much like if I met her I'd probably cry a little and having said that I'm I'm in this tricky bit moment right now where like maybe now we're getting like really, this is so funny that it feels like it's not woo for me to talk about my guides, but it's very woo to talk about Jesus. So we're just going to, we're going to make a little paradigm leap. Um, But yeah, like I prayed to quote unquote the Christian God. So like the Jesus God for the first time in years, like a few months ago almost as just an experiment. (laughs) Some people are cringing right now listening. I like, it's so funny where my, where my brain goes when I say things like this out loud, Mm. but I prayed being like, okay, like just show me what's up. I went, took myself on this date to watch like the Aretha Franklin movie Mm -hmm. of her album that was just recently um, released as a, the video of it was released because the album, you know, was such a big hit of her just singing gospel music. And I kind of started experimenting with like, okay, well, what would it be like to kind of like, you know, pray to Jesus again? Not like as my like my my main guy, but like as my my series of guides in the world, my series of prophets that I look to. And I do like I do genuinely like Rob Bell teaches on Jesus and what a revolutionary and radical he was so much. And I do like I love that Jesus. I love that revolutionary Jesus. I love those teachings. I think that he was like so far ahead of his time and that his teachings are totally badass. And at the end of the day, I don't know with this vote happening, I just got really, really clear on the fact that like, I cannot believe in this. And and it really makes me feel sick to my stomach. This concept of the fact that like God was encompassed in a single being and that that being was a man within such a violent fucking patriarchy. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't. Like, I, I can't get you. down with that. I'm like, I'm like, that's not source. That's mm-hmm. not what source does. Source is right here in my breasts. Yeah. Source is right here in my cunt. Source was definitely in Jesus, but source is also in the red cardinals, like, flying before me. Hmm. You know, I know I just got so fired up. <laughs> and I know that I don't know who's going to relate to this, but someone is. <laughs> no, I, I, I do. I hear you. Really? Wow. That's wild to me. You know, uh, this is reminding me the winter holidays, not this past one, the one before 2016. So it was like, I was still very raw from the presidential election. I will admit mm-hmm. many of us were. Mm-hmm. And um, I find that I lean the most into my like Christianness, whatever that means, around December. Mm-hmm. I'm even, watch me right now, I'm even hesitating to say the word Christmas. Which is which is a hint here, um, and I too feel a little bit like, ooh, can I talk about this? But I'm going to because mm-hmm. <laughs> that means I should. Yeah, I think I've always felt the beauty of Yule, of mm-hmm. of the winter solstice, of the light in the dark, of the coming together of community, of in the dream time of winter. How ancestrally that was such a hard time, like historically for our ancestors, particularly pastoral ones who lived of the earth about survival and community. And I think that's that was help that was helping me feel like, oh, this is why I love it so much. Also like consumerism presence that was woven into my being, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. But I had a real, I remember I went to a a service with my mother, like a, a Christmas Eve, like midnight mass service. And we were watching these children play out the the story what is it? The nativity. And, mm-hmm. um, my whole body became hot and I just rage cried on the drive home. My sweet mother holding space for my, just, I just was like nonsensically yeah. going off. And then the next day I realized I had a real issue with Christian privilege in December yeah. 
And that yeah. this time, like in a spiritual sense, this time of like the solstices, because in December in the Southern mm. Hemisphere, it's summer solstice. Um, you know, that's it's sacred. And it's like for me, um, I can feel like the natural world sort of telling me it's sacred. And I just felt in that moment like there's such this worship of this dude being born. Uh and then I can see where like the church really associated it to this pagan association of the solstice mm-hmm. and just being like, oh, that's frustrating. And then- going to take it and run with it. Yeah. So I had this sort of like, I don't know if it was a waking up or just like a moment just relating to what you're saying where I was just like, what the fuck? Like I just got so frustrated because I, and I felt sad because I feel deeply connected to the sacredness of this time of year. And I didn't want to turn away from it. There was a moment where I wanted to be like, bye. But I was like, no, I don't want to like not celebrate this time of year. I don't want to not bring a tree into my home. I don't want to not give gifts to people I love. Mm -hmm. I don't want to not gather on the table or on a beautiful meal. But like this is bothering me. So I get it. It's – yeah, it it brings up the stuff, especially when you're so focused on like decolonizing your existence. Yeah. I mean, first of all, can I just say like I had goosebumps, like full body goosebumps twice while you were talking. Really? Which is very uncommon for me and is usually a very loud. It's like when I get full body goosebumps, it's a loud signal from my spirit that says, listen. Mm. And I'm getting them right now as I'm saying it. So that's really sacred. And I'm just going to let myself hear how tender that is. So thank you for sharing. Um, Yeah. And then I think what we're... What I'm hearing here, I'm hearing myself say it. I'm hearing you say it. I actually just had a Marco Polo from a friend of mine, Maggie Gentry, who I believe you know. I love Maggie. Maggie, Maggie, shout out to you, babe. Mm -hmm. Like I had a Marco Polo from her this morning where her and I were talking about Jesus for other reasons, but very funny because like how many times have I talked about Jesus in the last six years? Like very few, let's be honest. (laughs) And, 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 and. Okay, so here's a part of what's happening for me. I'm like, is what we're talking about the deconstruction of how Christianity and Christendom and power are so in bed together and are still continuing to have such a strong political grasp on our countries and therefore what is happening at the border, Mm. what is happening with abortion clinics, Mm. what is happening with funding around sex education in schools in Canada. Like I'm just very aware of like, wow. Okay. So a lot of us who are outside of Christianity, who don't practice Christianity regularly, who are not Christians, we've just kind of been like, well, that's a bunch of bullshit. I'm just not going to believe it. But number one, we actually all have some baggage around it, mm-hmm. some. And number two, it is violently shaping our world and having the most harmful effects on the marginalized. Yeah. And is us getting critically engaged in that impact in the same way that me being like, oh my God, the evangelical church had such an impact on me. And if I need to honor it before I can let it go, it makes me wonder, like, are we socially, is there something happening interconnectedly in spirit, which is weaving through all of us, right? A deconstruction of those patriarchal narratives so that the thing can finally fucking calm down. Mm. And that's one less tool for politicians to use to push agenda driven by scarcity, white supremacy, capitalism, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. that I it's a piece. F- I find um, in my own being uh, feels like a little bit less safe to talk about than even like racism, mm-hmm. you know, or yeah, the immigration crisis or anything like that. It's like, well, let's talk about religion. It's like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And its role, you know, 
its role throughout history while also really honoring everyone's freedom and right to worship mm-hmm. as they choose, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I am a stand for that. Yeah. So it's this interesting dance. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's tricky. Like I'll be honest with you. I was really n- nervous this morning on the CBC interview to admit that I wasn't a Christian, which is so, so wild because I'm clearly not a Christian, but that was a scary thing for me to admit because I was like, but what if I want to go back in the church and become a minister? Like what if that power takes that opportunity away from me? Whereas like that opportunity was taken away from me eons ago. Mm -hmm. And I actually turned away from that opportunity eons ago also. And yet, I don't know, like I am a stand for people believing what they believe. And I am also a stand for dismantling belief systems that create oppression. Yes. You know, and I do believe there are belief systems and I believe that rooted in many religions, there are, there are theological beliefs that create and perpetuate oppression. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm actually really not okay with those, with us continuing to educate younger people on those religious beliefs over and over and over again, because we're just perpetuating oppression, Mm -hmm. you know, as evidenced by your own story as a child. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 And I, I can't help but think that like with you and with Glennon, and I'm sure there are so many other folks who are, I don't know why this word rebrand is coming to Mm -hmm. mind, but there's like, Mm -hmm or a revolution too, really interesting words I'm finding here, but just like there, there's new ways in which there are new options in this day and age to connect with spirit. And I yes. think that's important work. That's like the actions we can take and the frustration of seeing the whole system is, is letting folks know that, especially because we're alive, certainly um, not everyone is safe in religion in this conversation you know, based on privilege and where you live and all of that. But like we are alive in a time where more than ever before, um, how you worship does not, you know, like you and I would have been burned at the stake for this conversation. A hundred percent. And maybe have been in other lifetimes. Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) And so, and so there's, I just can't help but feel like, I mean, this conversation is edgy for both of us. I can feel it. And yet this is this is such permission for folks who are like, can I – I mean, I can't tell you how many people come to me in my work and they're interested in my earth way, earth-based ways and returning to the land and all these things. And they're like, but I've got so much hangups around the Catholic church and I've got so much hangups around this – this stuff or, or, you know, I am committed to anti-racism or I'm just so scared. I'm just so scared. And I can't even tell you why I'm so scared. And it's like, well, we are alive in a time where, you know, Glennon Doyle can post on Twitter that God is a she. And you can be like, I am queer and I used to be an evangelical and I'm connected to spirit and I go to a different church every week right now. And Yes, you, I believe in the freedom to worship as you choose, but also there are some belief systems that are not okay. And mm-hmm. it's like, wow, I, I can't help but feel the progress in that. And I don't know if that's yeah. just being super Pollyanna, but it just feels like, I no, that, that's true too. Yeah. No, I mean, I feel like that's a deep, I think that's a deep liberation, a wild liberation, a wild revolution that you are talking about right now that I don't think I could have even... I don't think I could have articulated in this conversation. So I'm so grateful that you did, Mm. but it's definitely what I'm seeing that like, and this is the thing is like the wound is often the ointment. Right. Mm. And so if my wound this morning was my fear, and this is like how to apply this to your daily life, this is it. Like if my wound this morning was being afraid to say, I find a Christian theology in itself linked to patriarchy in a way that is dangerous and oppressive. Like I'm afraid to say that, but you know what? Me saying it is what creates a way forward for a healthier spirituality for myself and for all. Hmm. And creates a way forward for me where I don't feel ashamed 
of the fact that, hey, I think God expresses itself through women and men and trans people and intersex people. And like, actually, gender is just a performance. And there are a million ways to perform gender. Boom. And that is what I actually believe. Mm -hmm. So to just not be afraid and say what I believe, even though at first feels shameful, then becomes the ointment to the wound of the shame. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to the folks who are listening right now who maybe live in communities that are very much still wrapped up in religious identity and there might be a fear of of losing their belonging in this and wanting to still feel a connection to the divine, but wanting to shift their practices, their belief systems, their communities, their worship? What would you say to that fear that of losing that belonging? I mean, the first thing that I'll say is that our fear is just trying to protect us. Our fear is not an enemy. Our fear loves us. Um, number one. So approach your fear and ask it, what are you trying to protect me from? And what do you need to hear from me to feel safer as I take steps towards this? something I ask myself a lot because the the truth is you don't owe your coming out, whether that's queerness or just coming out of a faith and leaving a faith. You don't owe what you believe in your spiritual evolution to anyone. You don't owe talking about it publicly to anyone. What I'm doing right now, what Becca's doing is really big, hard, scary fucking work. Hmm. And we can only do it because of the ridiculous amount of support that each of us has fostered in our lives through many years of work. So take your time telling people because you might lose your belonging. But if like, let's remember Brene Brown says, like if we're trying to be someone else or pretend we believe something other than what we actually believe, that's not belonging, that's fitting in. Mm -hmm. Belonging is when we are being our full true selves. And so until you're ready to lose fitting in, which feels like belonging, but isn't, and begin to move towards a process of finding places of real belonging where you can be yourself and be seen for that, validated, celebrated, and in companionship, like take your time. It's okay to take your time. Talk gently to yourself. Talk gently to your fear, but move towards what makes you feel alive and then also move towards what you want to believe. So if you want to believe there's a better way of being in relationship than the ways you are in relationship right now, then move towards that. Even if parts of you think, Oh God, but I don't know what that might look like. There's going to be uncertainty. You're going to have to, you're going to have to move towards uncertainty. There's a beautiful Rilke quote that I quote all the time that says, just try to live the questions now, like books in a language you can't read quite yet. The answers have not been given to you because you could not live them. And the point is to live everything. If I had gotten the answers I have now, when I was 22, I would have lost my goddamn shit. I would not have been able to live them. And so give yourself time and permission to live your way into the answers. Wow. Beautiful. I'm very touched by that. Mm, Mm. Well, I think we've reached the end of our time and I mm-hmm. don't want to close if there is like another little thing you mm-hmm. felt compelled to say. So is there anything left or like knocking on the door that wants to be yeah. said? I mean, you're loved wherever you are and you're listening to this and there are communities where healing is not only possible, but is the point of the whole thing, you know? So, Mm. um, yeah. So whether that's, you know, actually taking the leap, if you've been listening to Becca's work for a long time and you feel like her work really resonates, but you've never reached out, don't be afraid to reach out, take the leap, see what happens. Um, if my work resonates, you know, reach out to me. There are so many practitioners and people that are, 
um, doing their work and, and hosting different retreats and different events and workshops and um, that are able to give you some guidance and leadership. And then also, if these are conversations you're thinking about and you feel a sense of wanting to create something in your community, you know, maybe be the one to start it, be the one to begin, uh, knowing that spirit has 100% got your back and that if a calling keeps coming back to knock at your door, then it's there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. This was a really powerful conversation. I really thank you yeah. for going there with me. You're so welcome. I, I will say if anyone's from an evangelical background, uh-huh. um, we do have a retreat, myself, Madison Headland, and Hillary Bride um, coming up in January. We're going to Hawaii. Oh. Um, yeah, which is so exciting. And it's for women from um, a Christian background. Um, and a, all three of us specifically came from evangelical backgrounds, but really any sort of Christian background that have um, some spiritual trauma or wounding. Um, you know, and that doesn't even have to be like anything violent. It could just be years spent within patriarchy and evangelicalism. And we have, uh, we're about half full. So okay, um, we have some spots left. That's an incredible offering. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited Thank about you. it. Thank you. Thank you. You're so welcome. We will include a link to that in the show notes at belongingpodcast.com including all of Barbara's info. Um, and then on Instagram, you are be with cards, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I, I do have a secondary Instagram. It's not super populated right now, um, but it's called be with weddings. Oh, can and, you talk uh, about that? I love that you're yeah, doing this my God. With, yeah, so this is with just- your wife. With my wife. Yeah. It's a, it's a brand new project. And because I'm working on a book right now, I, I don't have a ton to pour into it, but, um, over the last four years, Tanya and I've just had the privilege of, of supporting people to get married. Um, and our favorite weddings have been the gay ones, (laughs) though all the other weddings are also great too. If you, if I married you just know, I love being your officiant or your premarital coach or your ritual support, whatever. So yeah, basically we're combining our skills and I am offering um, officiating services, custom ceremony services. I'm offering some premarital coaching based on emotionally focused therapy. And Tanya is offering emceeing and writing custom poetry for people, custom performance poetry for couples. And we're really, really focusing. Anyone is welcome, uh, as long as you're an ally, to come and work with us. But specifically, we're focusing on queer and trans couples. And you know, we're happy to marry people anywhere. So folks are welcome to reach out. And it's something I'm really excited about. And it's just like, I'm beaming as I'm talking about it, because this is very much, um, it's not even a passion project. It's just like a straight up joy project. You know, it's like just something that I'm doing. That's a song of the soul. Yeah, we need those. We really Mm -hmm. need those. Okay, well, I will Mm -hmm. include info for that as well in the show notes of belongingpodcast.com. Thank you for inviting me to have this conversation and, and to think about all of this in the context of belonging, because it's, um, yeah, it's a piece of my life that these days I feel like I have really, really beautiful circles and communities of care and places of belonging, but it's taken so long to get here. Yeah. And I'm just so grateful that you're supporting people to think about it throughout their journey, because even just that difference between fitting in and belonging, you know, I heard you like be like, mm, yeah, like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a journey and it's a process, but 100%, I promise there, your people are out there. And that the best part of all of this is that actually we get to invite more people on the journey of consciousness and awakening. Um, and then they get to become our people too. And that's pretty special. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I think mm-hmm. there are just so many people out there who feel alone in this mm-hmm. or trapped, you know, or like they don't have a choice. And so when we can share these stories, you know, we can help folks remember that there's a different way to do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, how do you feel after our conversation? Um, there's like a nice buzzing in my face, which is like uh, a sign that I've been very vulnerable. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I feel good. I feel here. It feels brighter in my room 
And I mean, that's maybe because of the sun came out, but also <laughs> because like, I actually feel like the energy around me is um, less heavy. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, so I feel good. I feel bright. I feel very curious. Like my brain, there's definitely a part of my brain that's like having fireworks and that's like very excited to re-listen to this. And it's like, yeah. Oh, like I'm making connections about my own calling and path and how that fits with everyone else's calling and path at this time and what what's happening socially and politically. Like like that those parts of me are like, ooh, exciting things. Yeah. Um, because there's definitely been moments where like in this whole like reconciling with my old religious practices, like I've been like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, why am I revisiting church? Why am I revisiting religion? Why am I revisiting conversations about Jesus? Like, this is boring as hell. (laughs) I don't care. No one else cares. What a waste of, but I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Here we go. Like spirit always knows what spirit is doing. (laughs) No, always. I know. And this is the beauty of recording our voices on a podcast is we can, Mm -hmm. It's a gift to us, everyone, when we can hear ourselves. We're like, oh, that's that's what I'm doing. It's so great. Yeah. It's so yeah. great. Yeah. I'm feeling – how am I feeling? I'm feeling um, proud of myself, mm-hmm. um, a little nervous, mm-hmm. a little nervous about sharing this. Also very excited to share this. Um, I feel like closer to you. I feel mm-hmm. a deeper admiration and sense of awe. For you and your work and um my extrovert is like the tank is full and she's happy <laughs> good oh i'm so glad yeah yeah well thank you so much for joining us you're welcome thank you so much for listening i know your time is sacred and i hope this episode infused some inspiration and meaning into your day For show notes, links, and references from this episode, you can go to belongingpodcast.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to Belonging on Apple Podcasts, and if you have a moment, leave a review. This helps my little podcast reach more listeners, and I would be ever so grateful.